Good evening, church, and welcome to the digital campus of Newark United Pentecostal Church. I am excited to be with you tonight. If you don't know who I am, well, my name is down at the bottom of the screen. My name is Stephen, and I welcome you to our Wednesday night Bible study and question and answer. My host with me is Sister Joyce. She's in the background. She does not want to be seen, but she will be heard tonight. And so we're looking forward to spending an hour together with all of you and continuing this week's theme. And I'm excited about this week's theme because it kind of ties together the last year uh, as we commemorate this week being the first week one year ago that we opened our digital campus and we began to feed you and minister to you over the internet. COVID-19 was officially underway. We didn't know what that meant and what all that entailed, but before long, we figured it out. And so as we thought we were figuring out a couple of weeks, I'm not sure if I'd have known it was going to be a year that I would have listened to Pastor Rachel when she suggested that we broadcast every day. But at the time, it sounded like a good idea. We knew that the internet medium required shorter broadcasts. We weren't going to go two hours. And uh, so it, it made a lot of sense. And so we did it. Well, like I said, I'm not sure I would have done it every day looking back on it, but we have soldiered on and God has been faithful and you all have continued to be faithful as well. So we welcome you, welcome you to the broadcast. If this is your first time with us, we thank you for spending time with us and we hope that you'll enjoy this evening. And please know that every night, except for Monday night, so Tuesday through Sunday, 7 p.m., we broadcast every single night, every single week. You can find out more about us by going to newarkupc.info, uh, and there you can find out all kinds of information. I won't spend any time on that right now. But this week, our theme is looking at what's in your hand. And I have the distinct pleasure of, of bringing you a lesson that's very overtly and, and very clearly connected to this question, what's in your hand? And uh, tonight, I'm excited to talk to you about the story of Moses. Now, Moses is somebody that we are, um, we, we love to learn about Moses. In fact, they made a great movie about him. Uh, if you haven't seen that, it's called The Ten Commandments. It's a lot of fun. But Moses is, is an interesting character, has lots of things going on in his life. And uh, the story of Moses being born in a time of oppression and persecution, his mother trying to save his life, his sister helping, his brother helping, and then ultimately Moses becoming a part of Pharaoh's household. And so for sake of time tonight, I'm not going to go into all of that story. And then at a certain point, Moses uh, decides that he's had enough of Pharaoh's household and he stands up for his own people and uh, as a result becomes an enemy of the state and has to run away. And uh, so he runs off into the wilderness, into the desert, and there he finds a wife. Uh, I don't know if there's any commentary there, but he, uh, he finds a wife there in the wilderness, and uh, he becomes a shepherd. So he goes from being the child of slaves to the child of the princess of Egypt, the daughter of Pharaoh, to the son-in-law of a priest of Midian and a shepherd. Moses has had quite a life. And where we're going to pick up is in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 22, and then also Exodus chapter 4, where we find Moses has now gone into the wilderness and he has married his wife and he is shepherding her father's sheep. And so the scripture tells us that one day Moses is tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. So imagine this, there's this bush, it's burning. And actually that site alone would not have been that abnormal. Uh, very hot temperatures, dry, tinder-like conditions. You could have what we would call spontaneous combustion. You know, a flame would erupt. But Moses stared in amazement, and the reason is, is that though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. 
And that's what was different than what had happened in many other times that I'm sure that he had seen a bush that was on fire in the middle of the wilderness because of the of the extremely heat, hot temperatures that had caused spontaneous combustion. This bush was on fire, but it was not being consumed. And so the next verse says, Moses says to himself, this is amazing. I, I, am, I am blown away by this. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. Now, meanwhile, the Lord is the one who has caused this to happen. And so when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, then God ups the ante. God calls to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Now you imagine this. You're in the wilderness. You're shepherding sheep. You're going about your business. You see something you see normally, a bush that's on fire. But as you watch it, it does not burn up. So you go to investigate. You go to get closer to see what exactly is going on, and a voice speaks to you from the bush. Now, I don't know that I would have the wherewithal to do what Moses did, because Moses replies to the bush, here I am. Now, I don't know if I'd do that. I think I might back away. I think I might run away. I don't think I would talk to the bush, but Moses did. He spoke back to it. He said, here I am. And so the Lord speaks back to him again. He says, do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Now, again, if I spoke to a bush after it spoke to me, and then it spoke again, I'm not sure I'm not getting out of there. But instead, Moses does exactly what God tells him to do. God goes on. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. So at this point, it has moved from what's going on, I don't understand, to he knows that he's speaking to the Almighty. So God says to Moses, so I've come down to rescue these people, them from the power of the Egyptians, and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. I am aware. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. And of course, Moses knows acutely what this is about. His family has been slaves. He himself has seen slavery his entire life in the Pharaoh's palace. And it's the reason that he's in the wilderness, because he stood up for one of these slaves against one of Pharaoh's taskmasters. So he knows exactly what God is talking about. And so God says, I, I've, I, I'm aware of their suffering. I, I am going to bring them out of this place of suffering. I'm going to bring them to the land that I have prepared for them. So he says, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. Lead them to the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites now live. But Moses protests to God. Okay? So, so far, Moses has cooperated, but Moses protests and he says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? God, you got the wrong guy. I'm not the right one. And so God answers him. He says, I'll be with you. And this is a sign. This is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. So get the picture. Moses is a shepherd. He's in the wilderness. And there he is. He's caring for his father-in-law's sheep. And he's at the base of a mountain when he sees this bush that's burning. And he, he, he's not really shocked by the burning bush, but then he noticed the bush is not being consumed. And so he comes and now he's having a conversation with this bush that he's come to recognize is God. And God says, here's the sign. Here's how you can believe that this will work. Here's how you can know that you're the one. I'll be with you. And you will actually bring these people back to this very same mountain. Now, that doesn't do it for Moses. Moses protests again. He says, if I go to the people of Israel and I tell them, the God of our ancestors, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? 
then what should I tell them? So Moses is saying, God, I can't just go describe in generic terms, and I'm certainly not going to tell them I saw a burning bush in the wilderness, and I'm certainly not going to tell them that I saw a burning bush that wasn't consumed, and I'm really not going to tell them that I saw a burning bush that was not consumed, and it talked to me. So God, you're going to have to give me something more. Who do I tell them? What should I tell them when they say, what's his name? Who is he? So God replies to Moses this famous phrase that we all know, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, I don't know that that really helps a whole lot. It's pretty cryptic. We like it. We understand its significance as history unfolds. But Moses at the moment probably wasn't real satisfied. So God goes on, he says to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to be, to remember for all generations. Now go, call together all the elders of Israel and tell them, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to me. He told me I've been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you. This is God again telling Moses what to say. He says, I have promised to rescue you from your oppressors and your oppression in Egypt and I will lead you to a land that's flowing with milk and honey the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites now live. The elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But God goes on. I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand. This, this God that says to Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go with you. He says, I will raise my hand and I will strike the Egyptians. I'll perform all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last, he will indeed let you go. And I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. They will give you gifts. And when you go, excuse me, they will give you gifts when you go. So you will not leave empty handed. You've spent all these years being slaves. You have nothing. They've taken everything from you, even your own freedom, your own health. But when you leave, they're going to give to you wealth. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and fine clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and your daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. So God has answered Moses' protestations and simply said, I will be with you. Here's my name. I am that I am. Tell the Israelites I am. Yahweh, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And I have heard their cries and I'm going to relieve them from their oppression. I'm going to take them out. I'm going to bring them out with a mighty hand. Pharaoh is going to resist, but I'm going to strike him. I'm going to pressure him. And by the time it's done, the Egyptians are going to load you with their wealth. You're going to strip them of all that they have. So this is a pretty grand vision, right? This is a pretty big promise. And here's Moses standing in front of this burning bush and, and it's not being consumed. And he's, and he's taken off his shoes, we assume, because God told him to. And there he is in the presence of the Almighty. So what does he do? Exodus chapter four, verses one through 17, Moses protests again. I hope somebody tonight is feeling, um, feeling some identification. Maybe you feel this same way when God speaks promises to you and you're like, but God, but God, but God. So Moses says, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? Now, God's already told him that they will listen to him, that they will hear him. But he says, what if they don't? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him a question. And here comes the title and the theme of our week. What is that in your hand? Now, I want everybody to recognize something. 
the moment Moses walked up to the burning bush, the way we tell the story in, in, in Sunday school is he sees a burning bush. He comes up, he takes off his shoes, he worships God, and God shows him how to throw his staff down and turn it into a serpent, shows him how to put his hand inside of his cloak and take it out, and it's got leprosy. That's not actually what happened. What happened is God appears to Moses and says, I'm with you. You and me can do this. I've heard the oppression of my people. I've heard their cries, and I'm ready to set them free. Moses starts setting up all the barriers. Moses starts asking all the, the litmus questions. Moses is the one who says, God, how's this going to work? And how, how do I know these people are going to receive me? And how do, how do I prove this? How do I do this without faith? So God is meeting Moses in his place of unbelief. Now, he believes enough to be standing there. He believes enough to be talking to a burning bush. Notice there's no appearance of God yet. It's just a burning bush that's not being consumed and a voice coming out of it. I know we always think in the movies it was a big booming voice. I always like to think of alternative realities. I wonder if God had a high, high-pitched squeaky voice coming out of the bush. That would totally change the feel of it, wouldn't it? We don't know what he sounded like. We don't have any idea what he sounded like. We don't all have deep baritone voices. Some of us got more high-pitched squeaks. I don't know what God sounded like, but Moses is not being convinced, and yet he's still standing there. He's still talking to this burning bush. He's still conversing with God, but he's like, God, they're not going to believe me. So God says, what is that in your hand? So before you get too excited about, you know, this, this theme this week about what is in your hand and, and all of this, I need you to understand something. God doesn't need what is in our hand. But God can and will use what is in our hand. So he says to Moses, excuse me, Moses says to him, he says, it's a shepherd's staff. I'm carrying a shepherd's staff. It's, it's what I use to, to make it over rough terrain. It's what I use to guide sheep. It's what I use to pull a wayward sheep back in. It's, it's what I use to perhaps fend off, you know, a coyote or a, 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 some kind of a wild dog. It, it's what I use to dig around in the dirt. I do it for, I use it for all kinds of things, God. It's a shepherd's staff. So God says, throw it on the ground. Now, if this doesn't make you run away. You know, if the burning bush didn't make you run away, this would. When Moses throws the staff down on the ground, it turns into a snake. And sure enough, the scripture says Moses jumped back. He didn't jump back at the burning bush. He didn't jump back at the voice, but he jumped back at the snake. And then my mother swears she would never participate in this, God or no God. The Lord says to him, reach out and grab its tail. <laughs> my mom would never have grabbed that tail. And Israel would have stayed captive in Egypt. So Moses reaches out and grabs the tail. Now I want you to notice something. Moses is having a faith crisis to believe in the word of the Lord. But it's not a total faith crisis. And I would like to argue to you that most of us, when we struggle with our faith, it's not a total faith crisis. It's just that God pushes us beyond even the levels of our faith. Moses believed enough to grab the snake. What do you think he was going to do? Snap its head off? Okay. And it doesn't say in the scripture what kind of snake, but I happen to know that deserts breed some of the nastiest snakes there are. But he obeys God enough. He reaches out, grabs it, turns back into a shepherd's staff. So God says, perform this sign. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, I guess God had gotten the drift that Moses was going to protest. So God says, I'll, I'll, I'll double down on this. He says, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses puts his hand inside his cloak. When he takes it out again, his hand was white as snow with severe skin disease. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in. And when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. So the Lord then says to Moses, if they do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, then pull out the second one. They'll be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you, even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it out on dry ground. Just get a cup, 
dip some water out of the Nile River and dump it onto dry ground. And when you do, the water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. So now God has moved from a place of, I'm going to be with you, and that's all you need. Tell them you saw me, tell them my name, and it'll be good. They'll believe you. To now he's stacking it up. He's told Moses, throw your rod down on the ground, it'll turn into a snake. He said, stick your hand into your in, into your your cloak and pull it out and it'll be leprous. Put it back in, pull it out. It'll be clean. Take water, dump it on the ground and I will turn that water into blood. They'll watch it turn into blood on the ground. So Moses pleads with the Lord. He says, Lord, I'm not very good with words. <laughs> I don't know how to speak. I never have been and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue tied and my words get tangled. You ever had excuses for God? You ever had reasons why it wasn't going to work out? You ever had reasons why it is that God says something to you and you're like, I can't do that. That's not possible. Well, you're joining a pretty good club. Moses had the same problem. The Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether a people speaks or does not speak, hear or does not hear, see or does not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses pleads again, Lord, Lord, please send anyone else. At this point, Lord's been pretty patient, hasn't he? At this point, the Lord becomes angry. I, you know, Moses, Moses learns how to deal with God's anger. There's other places that we'll find later in the story. Not tonight, but we find later in the story that Moses intervenes with God. So God, it's funny. Moses, on the one hand, is kind of a wimp. But on the other hand, he's brave. God gets angry and he doesn't seem to will. God gets angry and says, all right, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? He knows. I know he speaks well. Look, he's on his way to meet you. He'll be delighted to see you. Talk to him. Put the words in his mouth. I'll be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece. You will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And oh, by the way, take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. Now, this story is, is, is maybe familiar to all of you or, or, or maybe not. All right. But here's the bottom line. God never intended for Moses to use a rod. But when Moses lacked faith, God didn't hand him some golden book from on high. God didn't have an angel descend and, and give him something else from the heavens to be used. God simply looked at his life and said, what's in your hand? And so tonight I want us all to recognize something. I'm going to draw our attention in just a moment to, to a little bit more of, of what happens with this rod. Uh, oh, by the way, God uses Aaron's rod as well. Uh, it turns out Moses' rod doesn't get cast down as and turned into a snake, but Aaron's rod does. And then God shows off. You can read about this in, in uh, Exodus as well. Um, Aaron throws his rod down. It turns into a snake. Well, by dark magic, by evil, Pharaoh's sorcerers were able to do the same. They turn into snakes and then God shows off and he has his snake gobble up all the other snakes. So here's a big question for everybody to answer. You can comment because I know you're all jabbering right now. We're going to have to break you of talking in church once we get back to in person. But right now you can chatter. When Aaron picked up his rod, was it thicker? because it had eaten all those snakes. That's always a question I've wondered about, whether in fact Aaron's rod was thicker. Was God really into making rods in the snakes? Was that the point? I don't think so. I think what happens is, is that God says, I'm enough. And when we struggle, God uses what's in our hand. Now, there's two things to take away from this, I believe. Number one, God can use 
anything. See, humans, we humans, the way it works is we have to get the right tool. We have to get the right education. We have to get the right credentials. We have to get the right person. We have to get the right structure. And once we set everything up properly, now we are qualified. Now we are ready to do whatever it is we're trying to do. Do you know what God does? God takes a shepherd's staff, turns it into a snake. God takes what's in our hand. He takes us. And instead of needing us to first be qualified, he equips us. In God's kingdom, availability is the name of the game. Are you willing to do what he tells you to do? Are you willing to do what he tells you to do? Even in the midst of struggle and in the midst of a lack of faith, are you willing to do what he tells you to do? Now, I could very easily take this lesson and I could very easily challenge you that you need to not be like Moses. You need to believe in God. You need to have faith in God. You need to trust in God. You need to not be like Moses. But here's the reality, ladies and gentlemen. We are all like Moses because Moses was simply a human. He believed enough to talk to a bush. He believed enough to believe that it was the presence of the Almighty, the God of his father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But he struggled with what this crazy God was telling him to do. He struggled with the lengths that this God would go to. And so you know what God did? God met him there. And I think that's appropriate in this time here because I think this past year, some of us have struggled. We know that there is a God and we know that this God is in control, but we have struggled to believe the lengths to which this God will go. God, are you really there? God, are they really going to believe? God, is this really going to work out? God, I believe, and as the nobleman said, but help thou mine unbelief. What's in your hand? Will you make it available to God? Because I would submit to you tonight that in the midst of faith, that lacks, faith that falls short, faith that's not enough. God will turn to what's in your hand and he'll use it. He'll show you things using what you did not expect to be used. He'll do things through you in a way that you did not expect it to happen. Jewish uh, history tells us that Moses was a warrior. In fact, this is probably where Joshua learned to fight. It's probably where Joshua knew how to fight, is that Joshua, a slave, got trained by Moses. The history tells us that Moses was actually a great warrior and went and actually conquered some Ethiopian cities to the south of Egypt and brought back all of that loot and that wealth back to his, his adoptive grandfather, to the Pharaoh. If he's going to set his people free, Moses thought he knew how that was going to happen. In fact, he tried. He, he killed that taskmaster, but God says, no. Nah, I'll do it using a rod. I'll do it using a hand. Moses, I'll do it using a disgraced prince and his slave brother, Aaron. I'll do it by turning the river Nile into blood. I'll do it by exercising great power over nature, which Egypt worshipped. I will do it in a way that you cannot believe. So tonight I want to challenge us to consider that when we face troubling times, don't be looking for the perfect solution. Don't be looking for the perfect answer. Don't be looking for the perfect person. Don't be looking for the perfect tool or system or structure. No, God is less concerned with all that and is more concerned with, will you be involved in the process? And when you struggle with faith in the midst of that process, God will turn and take something as mundane as your shepherd's staff and simply 
use it for his glory. I don't have time tonight. We're at 731. I do want to take any questions and, and so forth. But if you go and you read, that staff shows up again. You can go read about it in Exodus chapter 14. Moses has gone. Great miracles have occurred. And God has delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt. And they have left. And just like God said, the Egyptians have poured all their wealth upon them. Of course, they lost their firstborn children. All of them, all of Israel, all of Egypt has lost their firstborn child. And so they are in grief. They are, they are in mourning. And all of their riches, they just pour it on the Israelites. And so here goes these slaves. And they head out into the wilderness to worship their God and to escape oppression. And they're loaded down with all this booty and goods and gold and cloth and silver and everything that their neighbors have done, just as God has said. And they arrive at the Red Sea and the Spirit of God directs Moses to have them camp there by the Red Sea. Not to, not to circumnavigate it, not to find a way around it, but to camp there. And the whole reason is, is God says, I want a showdown, one last showdown with Egypt. And so here comes Pharaoh's army and they decide that they're going to take over and they're going to capture these Israelites. And now they're captured by this sea. And, and Israel doesn't believe, but Moses has a moment. Go and read it in Acts 14, or excuse me, in Exodus 14. God speaks to Moses and he says, take your staff. <laughs> but unlike what we always think, the scripture does not say, stretch out the rod over the water. Nope. The staff is there. It's a memory of what God has done, of great miracles that have happened at the authority of what was in Moses's hand. But now it seems that Moses may have matured a little bit because God says to Moses, you stretch out your hand. Moses, I actually don't need the rod anymore. It's what I wanted in the first place. It's just you and me. Stretch out your hand, command the waters, and they will part. And you all know the story, if you don't go and read it, of how the Egyptian army is completely destroyed and Israel escapes. So in this kind of commemorative week, where we're remembering a great challenge that was placed in front of us, fear of the unknown, and is God in it? Is this the devil? Are we at risk? Is God going to keep us? What's going to happen? How do we respond to this? Are we doing the right thing? How do we do this? How do we feed the people? Should we be coming back? Should we be? Should, should this? Should that? Question mark after question mark. God has used what was in our hand. He's directed us. He gave us prophecy beforehand. But I can tell you, and you probably are with me, I had moments of doubt. I had moments of fear. I had moments of, I wasn't sure. God, are you really here? Is this really going on? Pressure was there. Grumbling of my brothers and my sisters at times would affect how I felt. God just said, I'm with you. I've got you. What's in your hand? So we took what was in our hand. We had small groups, so we used them. We knew how to use online platforms, so we used them. We figured out how to buy a few cameras and use our iPhones and do a little bit with lighting and figured out how to simulcast. We just used what was in our hand. We just used what was in front of us, and God used it. But Newark? We're coming to a day where God expects us to realize that it will not be might and it will not be power, but it will be by his spirit that all is done. The rod was present, but at the Red Sea, the rod played no part. Instead, it was the voice of God to the ear of Moses and the voice of Moses to the waters. What is God going to do with us in the next year, the next two years, the next three years? That we're going to look back and go, oh, the Zoom, the Zoom meetings are still there. And the online digital campus is still there. And our physical campus is still there. But they're not what matters. They're not the primary focus. God's doing something that is beyond and above 
any of that. How do you reach the place to believe God for the absolute total miraculous? By believing him for what's in your hand. Don't denigrate yourself. Put it into him. Take what you are, frail as it is, feeble as it is, as short as it is of the glory of God, as, as much as it is not what you want it to be, as much as you think that it can't be, put it into his hands. Because when he takes what's in our hand and he shows his power with what is in our hands, our faith is built to believe him for the things that we cannot see. The power and authority of God that doesn't even need us. When he spoke to Moses first at the bush, all he needed was Moses. But Moses wasn't there yet. So God brought Aaron and God brought a rod and God gave signs and wonders. But none of that was what God was looking for. God came to the backside of that desert looking for Moses. And somebody tonight, maybe somebody's, I'm here to tell you, you can offer God your money. You can offer God your intellect. You can offer God some of your skills. You can offer God what is in your hand. And I encourage you to do so. But in the end, God's not really looking for what's in your hand. He's going to show you how powerful he is by taking what little is in your hand and showing you he's not dependent upon what is in your hand. He is sovereign. He's looking for you. God didn't need a rod. He wanted Moses. God didn't need signs and wonders. He wanted Moses. And tonight, yes, prophetically and under the spirit, I'm not shouting, I'm not spitting, I'm not jumping up and down, but I'm telling you, somebody it might be somebody's, but right now, all that matters is you, somebody. God says, you can have your excuses, but in the end, I want you. It's all I need. Just you. All right, Joyce, question time. Come on now, Joyce. Sorry. There we go. Okay. okay. Go make me not see you. Um, okay. So we have one question so far. All right. And folks, I thought that tonight's message might not generate a lot of questions. So you can write in questions, but we've also got the backlog of questions from last week asking the pastor that we did not necessarily get to. And so as opposed to slowing down in that, we'll answer some of those questions. So submit questions online. Joyce will kind of keep an eye on that. But if you don't have a lot from tonight's sermon, I'll answer some of those other questions until about 8 o'clock, and that'll end our broadcast. So what's the one question we got, Joyce? Okay, so it says, for those who struggle to hear God... Put it up on the screen. Pop it up on the oh, screen. yes. There we go. Let's use our fancy... There we go. Okay, so for those who struggle to hear God, what advice would you give to them to know when they're actually hearing God's voice and how to understand and execute what God is speaking to them. All right. So the first thing, Scott, and all of us that you need to understand is that the key to hearing God's voice is having a relationship with him. If you want God to talk to you, you need to talk to God. Kind of works in a marriage, kind of works in a friendship, kind of works in people who work together, you want communication coming back to you, you need to be communicating to them. In the process of that communicating, not because you simply want to hear their voice or you need something, but you just are talking to them. You're having a good day, you're telling Jesus about it. You're having a bad day, you're telling Jesus about it. Things went well, you tell Jesus about it. Things went bad, you tell Jesus about it. You're reading his word. You're studying his word. You're memorizing his word. You're listening to the preaching. You're listening to teaching. All that is communication. And in the midst of you in relationship with God and communicating with God, God will speak to you. Now, let's use this analogy. If I'm in relationship with Scott, which I am, and I need to get a hold of Scott, 
does Scott have to do something special for me to speak to him? Or if I need him, am I not going to use every means available to me to get his attention? I might text him. I might call him. I might send him an email. I might call him out on a broadcast. I might look for him in person. I got I mean, if it's bad enough, I'll drive to his house. I'll show up on his doorstep. I'll knock on his door. If it was really bad and I got and I knew all everything, I might even go track him down at his job. See, we get reversed this relationship with God and hearing the voice of God, thinking that we've got to do all of these special things to hear the voice of God. Do you think God has an inability to speak? I tell people all the time, God has plenty of volume. If he wants to speak to you, he'll speak to you. Moses wasn't doing anything to hear God. He's shepherding sheep on the backside of the desert. And God created something to grab his attention and then speaks to him. So I think as Christians, we need to relax about this nervousness of I've got to get in this right place. That's malarkey. What kind of God do you think you're serving? He whispers like Joyce. No, he doesn't. He shouts. When he needs to, he shouts. Oh, by the way, he does whisper like Joyce. Still small voice. You know that? Okay. But he has no volume problem. He has no problem getting a hold of your attention. Do you realize this is the God who speaks to the wind and waves and says, be still. This is the God who spoke creation into existence. You don't have a problem hearing from God. The problem is, is that we have trouble believing we've heard from God. That's a relationship problem. So how do you fix a relationship problem? Stay in it. Stay in the relationship. Keep talking to him. Keep. I think Moses, I don't think God, it took God a while to get aggravated with Moses. Even as Moses was struggling. The Bible describes Moses as a meek man. Maybe this is what it was. He just struggled to understand how this God was going to operate this way. Maybe he lost all his confidence because he thought that he was going to help his people through that killing of that slave. And yet it didn't work that way. He had to run away a fugitive. He ends up marrying on the backside of the desert, a shepherd's daughter. Probably a nomad. We hear priest of Midian and think city. No, no, no. It's probably a nomad. It's probably Bedouins just traveling around. And this guy was in some religious role within that that group of people. So when it comes to hearing the voice of God, why don't we trust that when God wants to speak, he'll speak. And Jesus promised us that if we're in relationship with him, my sheep shall hear my voice. My sheep know my voice. So Brother Scott, I am one of those people that I am not convinced that we got to go through all the hysterics that we sometimes say we got to in order to hear the voice of God. I think you got to do a whole lot to avoid hearing the voice of God. I think God knows how to shout real well. Now, Joyce, pop that question up again, because I feel like there was a, there was a, a second part to that that I want to see. Ah, yes. How to understand and execute what God is speaking to them. All right. So here's the challenge of this. Part of the reason that we have trouble understanding <laughs> is because God's commands are not very understandable you're not going to understand them. You'll know what to do, but they'll make no sense. Okay? So the first thing is, is to recognize God told us this. He said, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how far apart the way you think and the way I think is. So we need to make peace with the fact that God is crazy. And as soon as you think you understand God, then you've put God inside of a box and frankly, it's not the God that I serve. This God is nuts. This God picks fights with the greatest uh, armies in the world. This God picks fights with all the gods of the earth and says, I'll show you all up because I'm the only one. This God is, he speaks things which are not as though they were because he has such confidence in his power and his ability that whatever he speaks is going to come into existence, even if it hasn't even existed before. This God says, I control everything. I have the ability to do anything. This God is not somebody you can understand. So executing what he's told you to do comes down to a simple obedience. And part of it is, is you box yourself in. 
Moses did ultimately go to Egypt. He did walk into that Pharaoh's palace that he probably knew very well. You know, you can imagine Aaron walking around gawking because he's never seen this place. Well, Moses has. Moses has run up and down these, these halls. He gets himself into a corner. Now he's face to face with Pharaoh. Now he's got to do something. So what does he do? He relies upon what God told him to do. And guess what? It started working. It didn't work perfectly. When the first interaction with Pharaoh got done, Pharaoh demanded more bricks. He put more pressure on the people. But Moses got himself into a corner. So part of the thing that we as believers have to do is be obedient enough to take the first step. And it'll get us in enough hot water. And I mean it exactly like I said it. It'll get us in enough hot water that then the only choice we got is to do what God told us to do. And what you're going to find out is what he told you to do works. But knowing his voice comes out of relationship. And relationships comes out of you talking to him and listening when he talks back. It's that simple. I didn't say it was that easy. I said it was that simple. It's simply not easy, but it is simple. Talk to God and listen when he talks back. And once he's talked back and it's consistent with the scriptures, obey him. Period. Do what he tells you to do. Any other questions come in, Joyce, or are we yes. going to do some of the old? Okay. We just got two more. So All right. um, what is the voice of God to you? Is his voice to you in your mind, in your heart, or I'm sorry, I keep forgetting we can put these up now. Yep. Um, in your mind, in your heart, or through word of God? Oh, hello, Jeff. This is one of my buddies from up in Vermont. Sorry to not see you this, this year, Jeff. I miss seeing you all. Hopefully we will next year. Um, just a real quick shout out. I hope you got your shot, Jeff. You're old enough. So I uh, hope you got your shot. That was me being ornery. Jeff's uh, a little bit older than me. Anyway, all right. So the voice of God to me, I'm going to assume, Jeff, you're asking me, what is the voice of God to me? Meaning Stephen Beardsley. Uh, I've never heard the audible voice of God. Frankly, I used to think that I want to. But I don't know. And I mean that honestly. The voice of God is that which happens in my mind. I'm a cerebral person. And so God speaks to me with words in my mind. But he's not limited to that. There are times that he will use words, but alongside of those words come feelings or emotions, which maybe that's my heart. Um, but feelings and emotions that convey more than even the words. In fact, that's part of the struggle many times if I'm trying to tell somebody else about it, I don't know what words to use to convey what I got downloaded or said to me with words, but with more than words. Nothing God speaks to me can be in conflict with his word. His word is universal. His, world, his word is available for all of us. It's accountability. It's that which we hold in common. So I always check what he speaks to me against the word of God. But I would argue that the that the spirit of God speaking to us, it takes what is general or what is principle, what is universal in the scriptures, and he particularizes it to us and to our context, our particular time and our particular place. He makes it work in the present. It can never be in conflict with the word. And it doesn't go beyond the word in the sense of doing something that is not consistent with the word. But it does go beyond the word in the sense of God taking the word and applying it in such a way that there's no question how we are to proceed in our particular time and space, what we're facing. So I hope I've answered that, that question, but the... If you're looking for, do I hear the voice of God as in an audible voice? No. Is it is an emotional feeling? Sometimes people say, I felt from God. And that's us trying to be humble a lot of times. For me, it's within my mind. It's very much within my mind. I am, I am a person of my mind. And I've come to peace over the last number of years that this is how God made me. This is not me broken. This is not sin. This is how God made me. And I've had God 
routinely tell me, son, stop trying to be something that I did not make you. That also gives me permission to give space to those who are not me, who hear differently, who experience it differently. Again, they're accountable to the word. And we're each in submission to one another about the respect that we show one another. But it gives space. Not everybody is Stephen Beardsley. Thank God. And the church say amen. All right, Joyce, what's the next question? Okay, so the next one says, does God speak to us through other people? If so, how should we react? All right, absolutely, Sister Debbie. Yes, he speaks to us through other people. Uh, we know this because there are prophets, and prophets are simply humans who speak for God. Uh, so he absolutely speaks through other people. And, and our reaction to that is, is, number one, is it should be submitted to the word. So that's why you need to understand the scriptures because you test uh, and, and what that person has brought to you, whether it's consistent with the word. But then, as I've already said, God can particularize that. And so then what you do is you turn around and you go and you test it against your own relationship with God. You, you, you bring that into conversation with the God who you can talk to. And you don't force it. It's like those puzzle pieces. I hate doing puzzles, but I do know this enough that when you do puzzles, you don't you don't ever bang a piece into place. It's supposed to literally fall right into place. Just a slight nudge, a little bit of pressure, and it pops into place. If you've got a shove on it, it's not the right piece. And so when people speak into my life, they are not the same as the word of God. And they are not the same as my relationship with God. There's a, there's, a, there's a doctrine or an idea out there, and I want to say this very respectfully, but the idea that there is a human who can walk into your life and literally speak into your life in such a manner that you are absolutely, notice the word, absolutely obedient to them. Brothers and sisters, I'm sorry, there is no human being who you can trust that well. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Cornelius fell on his fell on his uh, face before uh, Peter, and Peter says, "Stand up! I myself am also a man. No preacher, I don't care how much God uses them, should get absolute trust. First, they're accountable to the Word of God, but second, they're also accountable to your relationship with God. You say, well, maybe I'm just not hearing God, and they are." So you're telling me that you want to hear God enough that you'll let another human being tell you exactly what to do. But that is not good enough to allow God to corroborate it by speaking to you. You trust God enough to obey explicitly what another human being tells you to do, but you can't hear God yourself. That's not consistent with Scripture. If you are willing, if you're submitted enough that you're willing to listen to another human being speaking into your life, then I would submit to you, you're probably submitted enough to take that and give it enough time. Don't shove on it like the puzzle piece. Give it time. Lay it before the Lord and let the Lord particularize it. I've found that many times humans speak into my life and they have part of the word of God, but they don't get it perfectly right. But then between the word and the spirit, my relationship with God it all can come into alignment. If I'd taken explicitly what they had said and not referenced the word of God and not been in my own relationship with God, I'd have gotten all messed up. Many times, I will tell you, as, as pastors, our mistake is, is we say too much. We hear a word from God. We know something we're supposed to say, whether to the overall church or in particular to a person, and we say it, but then we then we think we know what it means and we take another step to the application, and that's usually where the mistake is made. Say only what God has given you to say. If God's spoken to you and you're supposed to speak into someone's life, don't overspeak it. And when you're done, shut up. Don't keep talking. All right, Joyce. Okay. Any others? Nope. Any come in? That was it. All right. Well, pick a juicy one from uh, last week that we weren't able to answer. I got five minutes here. Let's not waste it. Okay. Preferably biblical. Some of them were asking some crazy questions, which I don't mind answering, but tonight let's stay biblical a little bit. Okay. Um, let's see. Why do you think the Bible does not mention Jesus' sisters by name? 
Ah. So, first of all, you've got to understand that the New Testament, which is the portion of the Bible that would have dealt with that topic, the New Testament is very countercultural. The world in which the early church was birthed, in which Jesus operated, in which the Apostle Paul and the Apostles operated, was extremely uh, male-centric. Okay, uh, There were even sections of the world at that point in which women never left the house. Literally, there was a woman's quarters and there were sections of the house she didn't even enter. She definitely did not go in public and she only stayed in those quarters. So I'm not telling you that that's biblical. I'm not telling you that that's right. What I'm telling you is, is that when you recognize uh, how much, how countercultural some of the writings of, say, Paul are, or as Daniel Corrin mentioned this past Friday night about Luke, how he elevated the role of women. You got to understand that they were very countercultural. But just because you are countercultural doesn't mean you've gotten it right. So I think the answer is, is when we see things like that, that the fact that women, uh, there's silence about certain women or women are depicted in a certain way that we look at today, even according to the scriptures and recognize, huh, that's not quite right. Understand, you've got to not just compare to where we are now today, but you have to compare. You have to look at and judge according to where they were at that time. And women were just not the subjects that people were paying attention to. And in some ways, I hate to say it, but we haven't come so far. There's many times that women are still on the back burner. They're still not front and center. They're still, their voice is not still there. And, and I got to pay attention to it too, because I have the honor of working with a pastoral team that is, that is both men and women. And I have to pay attention because sometimes what I think is just me being leadership is actually me just being man. And I need to not be so much man and give more space to my sister's. And the best way to give space and allow our sisters to grow in all that God has called them to do is to get out of their way. Don't sit there and tell them what to do. Just get out of their way. And that's that's a challenge for me. I will admit that because I have a hard time getting out of anybody's way because I'm kind of bossy. If you all haven't noticed, I'm, I'm kind of bossy. I have opinions. I'm I mean, I got three or four opinions for everything. So, you know, it's 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 not so much about gender for me, but it has an impact upon that. I've often said that when my children look back at me or my grandchildren look back at me, how much will they judge me as having not really been as progressive and as innovative and as biblical as I think I am because they're judging me according to where they are at, hopefully better off, instead of judging me by my peers and judging me on where I came from. I think we can do the same thing to the biblical text. So I think his sisters just weren't in the picture. We know there were sisters because it's referenced, but it's not in a great section either. It's kind of like they're just sidelines. I think it's a reflection of the time and the culture, and it's not a good thing. It's just what was. One more, Joyce. We're at eight o'clock. Is there a short one I can answer real quick? Of course, that's up to me whether I make it short, right? Can you try to make this one short? <laughs> okay, so is there a passage of scripture that you feel is really important but really difficult to understand or explain? Interesting. A passage of scripture that is really difficult to understand or to explain, mm -hmm. but really important to understand. Okay, I'm going to punt. <laughs> I'm going to punt. Um, yes. There's a book of the Bible that I do believe is supposed to be a part of our biblical text, but it's really hard to understand. And we need to carefully, carefully, carefully parse it. And that would be the book of Revelation. Now, that's not a passage of scripture, so I apologize. I'm punting a little bit there, folks, whoever asked that question. But yes, I think the book of Revelation is one. It's important. I think there's a message there. I think God intended it to be there. 
but man, we got to be careful with it because so much damage has been done with it. So much damage has been done with it because of misunderstanding. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am one minute over. Thank you for being with us. If this is your first time, I hope you enjoyed tonight. Join us again tomorrow night, seven o'clock, same station. We don't have stations anymore. You know where to find us. You found us the first time. Find us the second time. Again, if you want to learn more about us, you can find out, out about us at newarkupc.info. There you can find out about small groups, big important part of who it is, who we are and Newark, how we operate. You can partner with us in giving. You can submit prayer requests and praise reports. You can request to get baptized. All of our communication and updates right now, while we're not meeting on our physical campus in person, show up there as well. Um, you can change your contact information there. All right, you get the point. Everything you need to do right now is at newarkupc.info. Thank you for being with us tonight. God bless you all. Have a great night, and we'll see you tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Let God use what's in your hand and bring you to the place that he can use you. Good night.